past few years, I have taken a shift in my ideology around mentorship. So I do look for that guidance, that help, that support. I am more of an open vessel now because it's like, yeah, if I haven't figured it out by now, I need to learn, right? I need to talk to people to figure it out. And even if they don't have the direct answer I'm looking for, I can learn from their mistakes or their lessons or pull any other tangible pieces of information from them that I can use to help guide me. And that's been really, really transformative for me. Welcome to the Social Complex Podcast, where we are diving into the complex impact and influence of social media on brands, brains, and the bigger picture of our modern world. Here's your host, Hillary Applegate. Welcome back to another episode of the Social Complex Podcast. Today, we are joined by Bridget Price to discuss the unsteady path of entrepreneurship, how to harness your unique gifts, and why mentorship matters. Bridget Price is a cleaning guru and co-owner of Made Easy, a maid service company based in Phoenix, Arizona that has grown to massive expansion. She holds a master's of management from the University of Phoenix and specializes in digital and traditional marketing. She made the pivot into Made Easy after years in corporate America. She's also the podcast co-host for Entrepreneurs in Progress, a show that was born out of bringing entrepreneurs together to share stories of triumph failure, and lessons along the way. Our conversation gets into the power of learning and connecting with leaders on LinkedIn, how to cut through the sales bro clutter online, and navigate hustle culture messages to avoid burning yourself to the ground. While our conversation is really centered around entrepreneurship, small business ownership, there are a lot of lessons in here that are applicable to anyone in any flavor of life. So I hope you tune in and listen. Bridget has so much to offer and it was a wonderful conversation. Check it out. Are you on your second season or your third season? So we've kind of scrapped seasons. So oh, really? if you go back, we've re- removed first season and second season because we have changed the format in its entirety. So we used to do like hour long conversations, which were really nice. But then we were listening. We're like, okay, it might be a little long winded. So let's kind of chunk these out. So we have shorter episodes, like 25, 30 minutes max. I don't even think we have any episodes that go up to 30 minutes, but we really just wanted to do like more bingeable pieces of content that if you're rolling through, you can get a lot of topics covered and not have to listen to a really long segment. So that's been working out. So it's just going to be ongoing. So instead of seasons, we're really just tapping into moments when certain things happened in our entrepreneurial process and what we've encountered. It kind of sort of goes in like chronological order. So, you know, what we've dealt with when we first started, you know, kind of the pains, the insecurities, getting our first sale, you know, things like that. So it, it goes down that type of train. But um, yeah, it's brand new. We upgraded our studios. So Lauren's view is basically not mirrored mine, but they she has more visual interest, more things to break up what we were <laughs> doing in seasons one and two. I was literally like in my dining room area with a painting behind me and it was so flat. So I was like, okay. And my husband hated seeing that. He's like, I don't like just how close up you are. And I was using, you know, just a ring light and I was fine. I was, I thought it looked great. (laughs) But my husband (laughs) has like 
a visual eye. He was he was a yeah. designer by trade, UX UI. And then he's like, no, this this isn't gonna work. So we're gonna upgrade you. And it was actually started off as a surprise. Like he invested in the camera. He got all these lights for me. And he's like, yeah, sit here. He's like, it's for the business, you know. Just I'm gonna take a few shots of you. I'm like, oh okay, sure. And then he's Aww. like, actually, this is for you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and so it was really Stop. sweet. Yeah. That is it so starts, sweet. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. And he caught my um my surprise look on camera too. Like when he told me he was shooting yeah. the shots. And so um it was really Aww. sweet. And we thought we could record like in the dining area because it gave a really nice like view of like our kitchen and all of that. But we have tiled floors, we don't have a lot of rugs down there, so the echo just mm-hmm. wasn't it wasn't gonna work. So I moved into our spare guest room and it's been like such a perfect fit. And yeah, um, and it's a beautiful studio. Yeah, thank you. I've never, you know, growing up, I never had a space of my own. Like I had four other siblings. So this really felt like my own kind of retreat, which is really nice. I read in here and I plot and scheme. <laughs> but <meant> um that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was just a really nice surprise because it was really just out of genuine, like, this is for you. I want you to keep doing what you're doing. And it was, it was, just, it was really nice. Yeah, that's really yeah. sweet and really thoughtful. And that must be really nice to have a husband with a really creative eye. Mine's operations. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, let me tell you, girl. I get no he design has... help. <laughs> yeah. I I know it looks good. I just can't put it together, right? So yeah. he had this mocked up yeah. in Photoshop. He had like the picture. How cute. I was like, I oh my it. God. <laughs> I love yeah, it, Bridget. It That's really amazing. Sweet. <laughs> so let's go back. You mentioned mm-hmm. that growing up, you had four siblings. You've never, you never really had a space of your own. Tell us a little bit about little Bridget, because I feel especially in the entrepreneur world, we all were like not sitting in our chairs. We were all <laughs> talking loudly. We were all doing all these things. I want to know a little bit more about young you that um, helps shape man. who you are today. I hate to say it like this. It's weird. I'm not sure if you feel the same way, but I always knew I was different. And mm-hmm. I always knew that I wanted more. So at five years old, I already knew like college was just the end goal. That was easy. Right. And so I really loved school. So I always wanted to succeed in school. I wanted to do well in school. Um, and I wanted to almost be the standout. I wasn't always the most vocal. So I always loved to lead by example versus by voice, you know, and I was actually really shy as a kid. So I always just wanted my actions to show who I was. That was really my, I guess, mantra of sorts. And so that carried through my academics, through my sports, and just how I carried myself. With that, I did build like a silent confidence, you know. However, I think as I was growing up and you kind of see like the squeaky wheel gets the oil type of thing. And so you're starting to realize that hard work isn't just the end all be all. You have to do a little bit more. And so I was trying to figure out how to navigate that. And, you know, as I was maturing, I felt like my insecurities were growing. So I didn't know exactly how to be everything to everyone. And so I would ended up becoming more or less like a people pleaser. 
And I think in being that, it kind of shrunk who I was naturally. Um, I was naturally talented at sports. And because I wanted to be liked, (laughs) I would downplay my talents because friends or um, teammates would get mad at me for starting or, you know, being called out by coaches and things like that. And it made me really uncomfortable. Like internally, I was excited that I was being recognized. Right. But then when you're a teen, like you're looking to be accepted, (laughs) you know, that social acceptance is so important. And when you feel any kind of backlash from that, you, it sucks. It's like, you're at this place where you're internally conflicted. And so that was a lot of my existence in my teenage years. And it actually, unfortunately, it stuck with me throughout my 20s. And it didn't materialize the way I thought it did. But what happened was as I was evolving and growing and then went through college, graduated, got my first job, I kind of developed this weird level of being content where I kind of said, you know what, maybe I did dream too big. Maybe this is like my life and maybe I'm just going to be like this worker bee and as long as I'm being paid well or what I think is fair, I can learn to live within this. Even though in the back of my mind, I always wanted more. I always knew I could do more, but I resided to this space of mediocrity. And that's painful to say because that just was not who I was growing up. At the same time, I could see how it happens to so many people. Mm-hmm. And so the last couple of years, I've kind of just taken that power back. And I've realized that the only person really, truly holding me back, as cliche as it sounds, is me. You know, I was allowing outside noise, disappointments, things beyond my control impacting who I was operating or how I was operating. And so once I've realized that I'm truly in control of my own destiny, like I can control how fast I move, how quickly I move, how smart I move. And I had more power. I felt kind of, I still feel unstoppable. Mm -hmm. You learn a lot of things over the years and my experiences have shaped me. So my dreams look different than they did when I was five or six years old, but I still dream pretty big. But now I know that if I don't achieve anything, it's, it's on me. It's not on anyone else. Yeah. When was that shift for you? I feel like shifts never happen, like just this is a major shift and that was it. I feel like they happen incrementally. And this shift has really been happening for me since 2015, 2016. So right as I was approaching 30 years old, um, I turned 30 in 2016. And that's when I really started noticing this shift. But then certain things happen where they completely change who you are. So Oddly, getting married was one of those <laughs> situations. Like you kind of have a life or built-in partner. So they are constantly encouraging you and you're seeing their growth as well. That was a shift for me. I think for most people, they experience a shift in the pandemic where they're really evaluating who they were, what they wanted to do, what space they were currently in. It just allowed a time for people to really take a moment and step back and learn more about who they are. And I call that like a return to self. I think a lot of people experience that. And then lastly, the biggest shift in my life so far was I lost my older brother about two and a half, actually 15 months ago, or I can't do math, (laughs) 27 months ago. Yeah. And so that was the biggest shift in my life. 
it was like moving mountains for me. That really forced me to work on myself a lot. I did intensive therapy for 20 of these last 27 months and intensive, I mean, for a year, roughly a year, I had two therapists, one that focused on like my feelings and my emotions and the other that focused on my behaviors and like how I process things. And it was eye-opening for me. Um, and it really forced me to look within and learn uh, the reasons why I do certain things and respond um, and then how to just focus on myself. And I realized a common theme with, you know, my dreams dying early on to like reclaiming those dreams now was because I attached ego to pleasing other people. And a lot of the time I convinced myself that, you know, being generous and being kind, that's just who I am, right? So like, this is inherently me. It's not about ego, but there, there actually was ego underneath that. That's where I found my value. Mm -hmm. And so I had to undo that. I'm still undoing that, but it's really been eye-opening and it's been a major, you know, shift or journey for me that's really gotten me to this level where I feel like I can do whatever I want to do. And now you're feeling unstoppable. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. <laughs> it is a journey, though, where, you know, it's incredible that you dealt with so much change in such a short period of time when you really think about the extent of a lifetime. And mm -hmm. I mean, some would argue that you found that spark and you found that shift that you needed earlier than a lot of people do. I think there's plenty of people out there that when the dream dies, it's dead and it's gone. Yeah. So kudos to you for pushing through and seeing the path forward. Tell us a little bit about what made you get into this space of where you finally said, okay, this is what I'm going to be doing and this is where I'm going to be doubling down. Was it more the business or was it more in Bridget? I think it was both. So with the business, you know, I had a side hustle or a, a small company, a consulting company where I worked with college kids in the college process. And because I didn't structure that right in my time, I was really burnt out. And so, you know, the early pains of like pricing your services and things like that, I didn't have that, you know, honed in on. And so I felt really burnt out. I was working crazy hours. And then on top of that, depending on the season, I was also working full time or, you know, working as a contractor to supplement my income. And I was just exhausted. And so my husband came to me after I had landed another job and said, I'm going to start this, you know, cleaning company and you know, let me know your thoughts. And I thought he was crazy. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, what the hell? But his reasoning was he's, he's always been an entrepreneur. So I think by being with him, he's always kind of kept that spark that you said would just die out. He kind of kept that simmering for me. And there'd be moments where it would spark up like crazy and then kind of simmer back down. But he was a driving force in that and making sure the old me was still there. And so the reasoning behind his this cleaning company idea was just, we're going to do something tried and true. We're going to do something that's not super sexy. You know, we're, we're not going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg, you know, but we're going to do something that 
people need. We can, you know, uh, model our business after other companies and there's tons of data and information out there. We're going to see how this works out. And I think um, after the second year or so, when we started seeing the numbers and started seeing the success, that's when I, you know, that light really went off. Like, oh, wow, like we have something here. And it wasn't like my consulting business before where I'd have a really strong month, <laughs> you know, and yeah. then a weaker month or a couple months. And then I have to hit the ground running, getting new clients and all of that. This was like passive as we were working full time. So it was mm -hmm. building kind of on its own and it started to take off. And so seeing that success with all of these other life changes that were happening, they kind of just collided. And it, it came at the right time for me to recognize, okay, I can start thinking about my dreams again and start thinking about these aspirations that I've once had before. That's awesome. Can we just give a shout out to solid partners in the <laughs> land of entrepreneurship? I, yeah. I mean, I talk about this uh, here and there, but I don't think that there's enough of an appreciation for the partners for every entrepreneur out there because mm -hmm. even, you know, myself, my husband is my steady Eddie. He is yeah. my go-to. He is my like brain partner when mm -hmm. it comes to being supportive. And especially when with like hype, we'll get to this more, but you yeah. know, the how to make six figure <laughs> salary in 30 days on your own, blah, 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 blah. Like go make your own empire. Like all uh -huh. these all these buzzwords that actually drive me up a wall, <laughs> but something that no one admits enough in my opinion is yeah. a lot of these people have someone else that they can lean on. Yes. And so if you are single, if you are divorced, if you are whatever you may be, if you, and if you don't have, if you have a shitty partner, like mm -hmm. all of those things are such a heavy barrier to entry in entrepreneurship and being successful. Yep. And yep. if you're just sitting there being like, it was all me, I did it myself. Like, no, no. I did the bulk of it. Yeah. <laughs> right. I honestly think you can't really do it by yourself. Like it is hard. And, yeah. you know, you, you could probably be like a solopreneur or, you know, like I said, a consultant, you know, where you're kind of working in this freelance capacity, but it's never like in terms of scaling a business, it's hard to do it alone. Yeah. And I agree with you. Shout out to those amazing partners. I can't imagine where I would be without that support. Yeah. You know. You and I both. <laughs> so how has your vision for your life? We know that that dream and that spark for something different died, reborn. But as you get older, you get more experience. You see the world for what it is. You get, mm -hmm. you know, I would say definitely more like hard edged mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. I like to say jaded. Uh, really jaded, <laughs> for sure. I mean, I I wish that I had like the cojones that I had when I was 18. Yeah. And like the just the energy, everything. I, yeah. I knew so much when I was 18. And <laughs> oh, exactly. Just getting dumber by the year. But how has your vision for your life and your career evolved as you've gotten older? So I definitely realized that, and I know we'll talk about this a little bit later, but just the idea of, of hustle and bustle, like that has changed tenfold for me. So it's not about like how hard I can work, but how much more smarter I can work. Right. And then 
also too, uh, there is a balance. I think you have those incredible human beings who just completely shift the world and change everyone's lives. I think at some point in our lives, we all think we could be that person too. But it's also just keeping things more realistic and checking yourself and knowing, okay, what can I realistically do and what do I want to do? Asking yourself those hard why questions, like why do I want to be the next Steve Jobs? Like, is that really what I need to do or am I the best person for it, you know? And so for me, I've just become more realistic about what I really want to achieve. And I have to say that the experiences that I've had before coupled with the success that we've experienced has really shaped that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need $200 million. It would be nice, <laughs> but I don't need $200 million. I don't need $100 million. Knowing what you need or want can really help guide you to where you or how you get there. And so for me, like I said, I've experienced a return to self. And I think part of that is really enjoying the parts of me that make me me, what I really enjoy doing, having more time for that, and then building something that can work on its own, be passive, and again, working smarter, not harder, while still impacting people, right? One thing I've learned in having this business is I was kind of operating this solopreneur space for so long that I almost forgot that we provide jobs to people. You know, Mm -hmm. we support people's households. And so how can I make sure that I keep that in mind with this vision that I have? And for us, it's really just been about remaining human and compassionate and working in a way that does not create some of the toxic situations that I've experienced personally. Yeah. What would you say are some of the most important takeaways that you have learned from your past that you've implemented into your workplace so that you set the culture the way that you believe that it should be set? So I'm all for transparency, but I'm also aware that despite the intention of being transparent, it's not always clear to people, you know, what your expectations are or what you, uh, what they need from you. And so for us, it's really been about a continuous feedback loop, you know, and then addressing that in a timely manner. Also acknowledging failures, right? There's been times where we thought we would have things executed or implemented by a certain time and we failed. Mm -hmm. Um, But owning that failure, letting them know that you're aware of that. Trust us, we haven't swept this under the rug. We know that we missed the deadline on this or we dropped the ball here. And then lastly, I think, again, it's really just been about exercising compassion. I feel like In my past experiences, there was selective compassion. So depending on the story that you've told or shared or, um, you know, issues that you've experienced, people decide if they want to believe you or not. For me, it's not really about if it doesn't matter if I believe you. That's not the point. Right. It's about what's the current reality, what's happening and then what do you need moving forward? Um, And I think people base their decision making on you know, how they feel about it without just really hearing what the, what's actually happening. And there's ways to get through that too, right? Asking probing questions and then really just having an understanding of what this person can and can't do. Yeah. And I think somehow we get away from that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're making an environment where it's safe to fail and, mm-hmm. you know, you have an opportunity to learn and, and grow from that. And I think that's incredibly important, especially when you're working with people. 
And yeah. you and I both manage teams and humans. We don't have yep. just products that we're pushing out. And right. you're always going to have to account for human error. You're going to have to account for human emotion and nuance. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is something that I'm really happy to hear that you prioritize because it's something that I'm constantly balancing in my day-to-day as well as far as you know how to keep building on that human element and use yeah. use it to its full benefit and possibility. Mm-hmm. But I am a perfectionist and man, <laughs> yeah. there is nothing more I'd love to do than just go into product where uh-huh. oh, nothing can go wrong. I mean, there's a lot that can go wrong. There's but, a lot, you know, but it, just at least it's like logical. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing too. Like, man, the pandemic has really forced us to really take that up a notch, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's more than the services that we're selling or offering like what is really happening that's changed the outlook of your you know staff members lives you know what are what are they really struggling with and we've really had to check that and and you know one of the things I've learned in managing people people learn differently (laughs) you know one way is not the only way and having to tailor your message several times to different people has been challenging especially because you think what you're saying the first time makes sense and then you find out no it's you know, this person's missing context or they needed mm-hmm. a visual representation or, you know, it's it's a hard balancing act for sure. So we've talked about leadership. Let's talk about mentorship, mm-hmm. the power of mentorship. How <laughs> have the mentors in your life shaped who you are today and what you're doing? So this is an interesting question, Hillary, because... Um, <laughs> I think I worked through this in therapy a little bit. It's more about like the ego again. Um, yeah. I've always wanted mentorship, right? And mentors. But there was some weird point in my life, maybe right when I hit 18 or 19 and I thought I knew it all, where I almost rejected mentorship, right? And the idea was that I could do it. I don't need help. I know what to do. And really what that was born out of was some type of, I'm assuming, I'm, I'm guessing some traumatic event in my youth where I became just self-reliant on me and reduced the expectations of people doing stuff for me. And so I avoided mentors and mentorship traditionally because I just thought I would have to figure it out on my own. And I'm not sure if this person can really tell me what I need to hear. And that's kind of how I moved and operated. And then when I got in corporate America and learned that a lot of people kind of fell up, I also, that, <laughs> that, 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 <laughs> that oh, contributed even true. more to like my thinking, like they don't even know what the hell they're doing. Like I, I got this, I, I'm going to figure it out. However, I started reading a lot of like memoirs in the last couple of years. And one of the common themes was that these, you know, people, successful people had other successful people that they talked to, that they worked with, that they looked up to. And I reject the idea of an idol, but I, and that's only because if you idolize someone there, that means they're better than you or they're above you. And I like to think of everyone on this equal level playing field. I can have a great amount of respect for you, but I will never idolize you in that way because one, I'm putting like these crazy expectations on this person. They've never met me. 
if they, if they fail to meet those expectations, they come crashing down on that throne, right? <laughs> and I'm I like, was going to say, it's a great way to get disappointed. <laughs> F them. Yeah, exactly. They were so mean and so rude, you know. Don't um, meet your so I have, Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I have great respect for a lot of people and, you know, even some admiration, but never idolize. So the last few years, I have taken a shift in my ideology around mentorship. So I do look for that guidance, that help, that support. I am more of an open vessel now because it's like, yeah, if I haven't figured it out by now, I need to learn, right? I need to talk to people and figure it out. And even if they don't have the direct answer I'm looking for, I can learn from their mistakes or their lessons or pull any other tangible pieces of information from them that I can use to help guide me. And that's been really really transformative for me. Do you find that your best mentors that you have in your life are those that are your professional mentors, personal, where do you, online? Yeah. Where do you find Online has been huge lately. Um, But I do have some personal mentorship, more like in how people are like choosing to live their lives, right? There's people in my life who are not entrepreneurs, who are just doing what they need to do. And because they have a certain philosophy around their life and their, their discipline, you know, I look to that. I respect that, you know, um, professionally, there are people who I see just doing the damn thing. And it's like, wow, it's really cool to see what they've been able to do, how they've been able to move. And that's inspiring for me. I, luckily it's been like a mixed bag but I have dug deeper into the social wheelhouse of people who I've been low-key stalking <laughs> or <laughs> researching. High-key stalking. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's really just getting more insight because, I, you know, if you're not careful, you can really just develop this bubble or, you know, create this bubble that you live in. And you're only inviting in like-minded people. You're only talking to people who share the same thoughts as you. And you don't really learn that way. And there are certain areas where, you know, I don't like to disagree with people on certain things, but you learn something from them. And so being open has allowed me to really reconsider or shift how I go about my personal life and then how I, you know, choose to operate within my business. Let's talk about that digital mentorship because that that is the crux of <laughs> what I really want to talk to you about today. Yeah. Uh, social media, I mean, I think there are so many blessings and there are mm-hmm. so many eye rolls um, <laughs> when it comes to creating and finding your people and mm-hmm. different communities to learn from and mentors online. So... Mm-hmm. I want to throw it over to you and ask about, you know, what are some of those digital mentors that you've seen out there and what kind of content do you feel that you're seeing more of in that space of promoting entrepreneurship and self-employment? I'm like, I'm, I'm trying yeah. not to lead the question too much. Yeah, no, you're good. Uh, so you know what? It's so annoying, right? Because I graduated at the kind of start of the social media era. So, you know, about 14, 15 years ago. And when I was working in ad agencies, there was this huge question mark around whether or not social media was here to stay. You know, had 
ad execs pushing back on like, if this is really truly a thing, how do you market to people on at the time, like Facebook, MySpace, like these people are looking to connect with friends. Like they're not looking to be sold any products. Right. And I remember being the younger, um, you know, part of the talent pool there and saying, no, like social media is here to stay. Like you cannot ignore this huge vehicle because you don't know how it works or what its functions are, who it's there to serve. And it just seems so asinine that they were questioning this. But then, you know, over the years, you we got entangled with social media just kind of being that connector. And we weren't sure, again, how it would work in terms of um, solopreneur space, pushing your products and services, not seeming desperate, scammy, or cringy, <laughs> you know, all of those things. And we've seen this like slow evolution where a lot of products, if they've done it right, services, they've done it right, they become part of the conversation. You know, we love to see the Wendy McDonald's beef on Twitter. Um, they become part of people's lives, you know, so people relate and it, it feels more natural versus just ads everywhere. As an entrepreneur, I always struggled on social media because I blame Lulu Rowe for this. <laughs> like that <laughs> era where yes. they were pushing all the M M yes. um, MLMs. <laughs> so it's like, oh my gosh, does anyone want to take me seriously? <laughs> you have yeah, all this and it's truth? like, what the heck? I think there was a weird turn that happened, you know, early 2010s, like somewhere between 2012 and 2014, where solopreneurs were struggling to make it online. And then boom, like Instagram comes and it kind of really changed the conversation around what it was like to promote yourself as an entrepreneur. And I think a lot of early adopters, what they did was they used the power of images, right? So they're showing themselves working from the beach and they're showing themselves, you know, skydiving or whatever the case may be, but they're working, right? So they're building their brand and you see this explosion of people promoting what they do. And there's huge interest, like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. Like, I'm stuck in this cubicle and and this person is meeting so-and-so or they're at this conference and they're traveling the world and you're just seeing it come to you back to back to back to back. And I think that really changed the game for a lot of entrepreneurs. They got to showcase what they were doing and then put a message out there subliminally, right? Some of them weren't so subliminal, um, but the message was clear, like get off your ass and work and this could be you. That's what we were seeing. And for me, I was never comfortable with that. You know, <laughs> like I couldn't even own my greatness. You know, I couldn't even say I was great, let alone tell people that they could do X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. And so even still seeing that content actually also kept like the fire simmering for me. Like, okay, like I need to get out here and do something. I need to, you know, kind of live out my dream or tell a story or something, but I could never figure out how to do it. And it, over time, it seemed like it got a little oversaturated. And then, you know, there's this huge pushback against like fake content and things like that. And I think for me, the biggest breakthrough recently has been LinkedIn. And I always knew LinkedIn could be powerful. I, I read a statistic years ago that like, out of all the people on LinkedIn, only like 1% was producing regular content. And at the time it was long form, like newsletters type of content before LinkedIn has developed their platform. But um, I was like, okay, I could probably do something there. But then LinkedIn made me sick. Like 
<laughs> I got tired of seeing job promotions. I got tired of seeing, you know, people move from one place to the next just to kind of strive for this certain title. It just got super like, ugh. I, I hated LinkedIn for a long time. And that was part of my bitterness, my jadedness around some of my past work experiences. But I didn't revisit LinkedIn until like a year and a half, two years ago, and it completely changed. I'm like, what the heck is this? But it's beautiful because you're seeing these entrepreneurs, these working professionals um, show more of who they are and how they got there. And that's where I think a lot of entrepreneurs can thrive. And so in the digital age, you know, I found a new voice that I didn't think I would have i.e. podcasting and and sharing my experiences and listening to others. And it's really been a supportive community so far. I've seen a lot of pushback just naturally, of, you know, because of the idea of content creation around what we saw in the early 2010s, like the hustle and grind, the team no sleep, that type of, mm-hmm. you know, content. It's really changed. And I think it's given more space for people to be themselves in this professional way. So now that you're active on LinkedIn and I love your content that you share on LinkedIn, I think that you have found a lot more ways to incorporate your personal experience and your personal Mm -hmm. story into your entrepreneur journey. What led you to realizing that that was, okay, this is, this is the place that I want to start sharing more behind the curtains on me, myself and my career. Yeah. So I can't really pinpoint why LinkedIn. It was something where I thought, okay, I think I can change the narrative of how I've presented myself on LinkedIn and my relationship with LinkedIn. And there is a place where, or a point rather, where I felt like Facebook wasn't the right place to share this information, right? Because those really are just like my closest friends. And then Instagram, again, I'm, I, I, li- I know it looks good. I can't always put it together. <laughs> so, you know, Instagram is visually heavy and I, I couldn't tell my story in that way that I wanted to. And so I thought LinkedIn would be a great place to do longer pieces of content posts, sharing my entrepreneurial experience while sprinkling in bits and pieces of information about who I am. And the main thing for me at the time that I decided to jump back into LinkedIn and kind of becoming a content creator of sorts was pushing back on this hustle and grind culture. I really wanted to show or capture what the entrepreneur journey has been for me and that it hasn't been all rainbows and lollipops. It's been a roller coaster. (laughs) And I just felt like that wasn't really being shared in an authentic way. Right. So... I really just wanted to contribute to the conversation in a genuine way, in a way where, you know, since we've experienced our success, Hillary, people have reached out and said, oh, I want to, you know, start a cleaning business or I want to do X, Y, Z. And it's like, ah, like the point of sharing the success wasn't to actually make it seem like it was super achievable. Like technically it is, but like there's so many layers to this. And that's where I see people get caught up. And it's like, they see the number, they see the revenue, they see the growth, they see the success. And they're like, oh, I can do that too, which is really great. Because what they're saying is if Bridget can do it, then I can do it. And Mm -hmm. everyone should feel that way. 
But I wanted to demystify what that process is really like, right? This is what we've been doing for like the last five years. Yeah. <laughs> like this isn't like just 30 days in type of thing. I wish, but <laughs> it's been years and years and years. And that's what I wanted to show. And I felt like there was space on LinkedIn to show that. Yeah. And so I've gotten a lot of great feedback and I found so many people there and it's, it's opened a whole new world for me professionally. I love it. I love LinkedIn. I think it is my favorite mm-hmm. social platform, partially because, I mean, I think that, I don't know if you feel similarly, but with entrepreneurship and with starting a company, I found that my core people in my life, like my friends and my family who would literally never buy from me are, you know, they're, they're very supportive, Yeah. but yep. those are not my people for yep. my business. So yep. It makes no sense for me to talk about it. I never talk about my company elsewhere, but I can talk all day about everything on LinkedIn because that's what I do day in and day out. So I personally think it's just such a cool platform to be able to make new connections and really learn at a mass scale from people out there. I'm glad you said that because you're absolutely right. My friends ain't checking for my stuff on Facebook, you know, my family, they're happy yeah. for me. They support me. They're not checking for me <laughs> and that's fine. And they're not you know, I for th- me. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's cool. It's, you know, it is what it is. And I think a lot of younger entrepreneurs or newer entrepreneurs, they have to change their mindset around that. They feel so heartbroken or disappointed when like, oh my gosh, my own family and friends won't buy for me or they're not supporting me. And it's like, ask yourself, is it really for them? No, it's not. Exactly what you said when you were like, it's like the the leftover from Lou LaRoe. Yeah. That is it. It's like, I am going to sell the crap out of these leggings to Uh my mom and my cousin and my grandma and my second cousin. And it's like, don't do that. To the girl who I haven't talked to since sixth grade, I'm going to hit everybody. (laughs) Every time I get a hey girl in my inbox, like, I think I lose a year off my life. But that I think that's also a good gut check. Like, if is your company legitimate? Ask yourself: Do I send it to people that I don't know? Am I selling to people that are outside mm. of my circle? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. might be a good indicator that Absolutely. you do have indeed a legitimate company. Absolutely, freaking-lutely. And I think that people are scared, right? So they lean in towards family and friends, and and hoping to validate their business. And it's like. The real validation comes from people you don't know, people who mm-hmm. are buying your products and services, don't know a look about you, don't owe you anything. And that's where you should get it, not from your friends or family, because that can create a fake world where you're, you're thinking you have something here. They're not being super honest with you. And there's something you could tweak or something you can modify or refine. And you're only going to really get that from your true customers or client base. And with that validation, do you find that entrepreneurs can interchange that validation for their company or their product or their service with validation for themselves? Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. If, you know, the thing about entrepreneurship and it's hard because I'm now I'm speaking from an older place, a more experienced place. If you don't really know who you are or again, your why, you, you suffer and you will become a victim to that need for validation. And then this is where you start to see the company or your brand becoming your identity. 
And I think that's also what we've seen across the board on social media. I think that's why people are sick of the sales bros, you know, those types of um, content creators, because this can't be the only thing you do, right? Like you do more than this, right? And Going on any dates recently? <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. That's not a business date or a business dinner or, you know what I mean? Um, it's crazy. And so, yes, if you aren't careful about knowing your why and your purpose, validation for your business can be in turn validation for yourself. And it kind of, it's this chicken and egg situation, you know, and you're constantly chasing that. And then when you lose it or you stall, a lot of problems can come about during that time too. For sure. And talking about some of those sales bros, maybe the dark side of LinkedIn, <laughs> let's talk about, you know, what the good comes, comes the not so good. What do uh -huh. you, what are you seeing out there on LinkedIn that is making you shake your head and be like, no, this isn't it. I think everyone saw that post about that CEO who cried or posted a video or a photo of him crying because he had to lay people off. For people that don't know, let's talk about that one. What happened? <laughs> I, I know. I remember. Okay. I don't know his name. Now I wish I would have came with the name. But it's there okay. Was this... It's better that we don't remember his name. I, you're right. He doesn't need any more. <laughs> Put you know, more, uh, you know, just through the ringer. Yeah, there's a CEO and he posted a picture on LinkedIn, tears coming down his face, basically saying that he never thought he'd see himself in this position and that he had to let like a small number of his team members go. And in that post, he also made a plea to, you know, reach out to people in his LinkedIn network. If you know anyone who's looking for XYZ, I have some talented people and he tagged them or, you know, all of that. And it just got crazy, crazy, crazy pushback on just the tone, the reason for it. Like it just seemed self-serving. And in his attempt to make this post about his laid off staff members, he actually made it about himself. Right. Mm -hmm. So he's the one with the picture crying. He's talking about how this negatively impacted him. And in a weird way, even more or less creating more embarrassment or so for those who are laid off. Like it, it was very self-serving. It was not the right thing to do. And people called him out. <laughs> this is where the intention just didn't land. Like it missed the mark. And this is where you're sharing too much or you're trying to be relatable or you're trying to even show all the ugly sides of being an entrepreneur or CEO or boss and what you have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, not the so pretty stuff. And it just backfired. It was just bad. And I think the sad part is upon initial glance, you might think, oh, wow, like he's really caring. But I, I've never personally cared for the tear photos. I mean... No. Something is just doesn't sit well with me about that. If it's not candid. Well, what's the idea is, what is it that uh, Brene Brown says? It's like, not emotional dumping, but like, it's like literally like vomiting up like yes. your vulnerability. And you're yes. just like, it makes, to a point where it makes people feel uncomfortable. Yes. And I think that in this day and age, especially given the fact that 
so many people know what, like they're very much aware how a photo is now taken mm-hmm. and the fact that <laughs> usually a photo is taken a few times. And so you're just imagining this guy like crying, 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 like, uh, yeah. take a picture. And then he's like scrolling through like, okay, no, those weren't is good. Is this like, right? Yeah. Uh, like, I think that that also doesn't really help. Um, and then when you're working with LinkedIn, you're just that, that's a lot more of, I would say a, a pragmatic group of people, you yes. know, for, mm-hmm. for the most part, we are, we do have a lens of like our bullshit meter is a little bit <laughs> more sensitive. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would agree. I would say that that would be uh, definitely it was cringy. About, a, a cringy one, but I, I will say, I think that that's a product of LinkedIn being more starting, especially I would say 2020, people got a lot more open and personal. Mm-hmm. And I think yes. that the personal part of it and the personal journey is so key. It's so helpful to hear someone's unique journey and to understand and learn just from what they have to offer, no matter where they're at. I think that mm-hmm. some lessons that I have learned from people who are fresh out of college, I'm just like, oh, they're like mm-hmm. back to the basics. They are hustling. They are smart. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really inspiring. And then same thing with tenured folks who mm-hmm. have wealth of experience, have worked in different industries, but all of the things that tie them together are their stories and yeah. how they tell that. And so these people come in and they see all these like stories, even some that are probably going overboard a little bit with the quote unquote vulnerability vomit. Yeah. But you get back to cases like this where you have someone just thinking, oh, this is going to look so bad on me if, you know, the fact that I had to lay people off, I want to be a hero of the story. I I do want to help these people, but it's like. Uh, for what, you know? Exactly. And I think you you hit on so many things right there, Hillary. I think part of operating in the social media world, especially like on LinkedIn, when you are choosing to create content, when you are choosing to share moments, when you're choosing to be vulnerable, you have to be real with yourself, right? There is a reason for this. And I think that when you are real about the reason why, and I'm going to just lay the reason out there, Right now, everyone is trying to create and control their own narrative and they're using that to get places. And that is more than okay. whether that's to build your network, you know, create connections, sell your product or service, become an influencer, thought leader, whatever. Own that. Right. But when Mm -hmm. you try to come from a place of just oh, I'm just, I'm going to cry and I'm going (laughs) to share how I'm looking out for these sad people I had to lay off, you know. The little guys. Yeah, the little, yes. Just do a gut check. Like, is this the right thing to do? And is this matching up with what I'm trying to get across? Um, And you're right, that bullshit meter is there because everyone is on LinkedIn for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to discern these things and really kind of decide if this person is being genuine or if they're really trying to get over on somebody. Yeah. And again, I'm erring more on the side of, you know, mislanded message, you know, do better next time <laughs> and yeah. figure it out. And um, I think people are uh, being a bit more forgiving nowadays um, because we're again teetering in this space of vulnerability, so it's like, okay, see what you're trying to do there, but like, you know, consider this next time. 
Yeah. Um, with that being said, I do think that, um, thankfully, I feel like, at least on my LinkedIn feed, you're able to tailor like what you see and what you don't want to see. Yeah. So I have been connecting with people intentionally and, and content that I want to see. And so I've been able to tune out like the traditional sales bros <laughs> content and that type of thing. And yeah. Those worlds. And I'm not sure if you noticed this, Hillary, but one person that I followed in the early 2010s and they got on my he got on my damn nerves. I'm kind of leaning into his content a little bit more is Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah. He used to be like the epitome sales bro, screaming the mic, <laughs> tell you the Sales God. Sales bro God. <laughs> oh my gosh. But it seems yeah. like he's pulling back a little. You know, I haven't and, actually seen his content in a while, so I'll have to check okay. out the difference. But yeah, I see He's what you're saying. Kind of toning it down. I still don't always agree with it because, you know, also knowing who Gary Vaynerchuk is, like he's he's had a leg in the race for a while. So it's a little different. But yeah, I, I think people just want to really come off as these thought leaders or they really want to come off as these subject matter experts. And they're really just trying to figure it out themselves. Yeah. And I think the quicker you're able to cut through that and see that, you can learn who's for you. Like, mm -hmm. okay, I like this person or I can learn from this person. Or I'm going to follow this person. I'm going to try to connect with this person. Um, but you have to be able to, you know, cut through the BS and know who's real and who's not and who's not for you. That can be hard, especially, again, I think people are more fall victim to that if they're dealing with insecurities, mm -hmm. imposter syndrome, if they're really trying to get something off the ground, I think people really fall victim to those types of crowds yeah, and those types of people when you don't know why you're doing what you're doing. So a little lesson in discernment on that. What would you tell people who, you know, maybe entering into LinkedIn for the first time or might be wanting to explore and learn from new people and they're, you know, really starting to figure out how to follow the right people what lessons and discernment would you give for them so that they don't fall victim to some of that more um bs factor mm -hmm. yeah one thing i really um kind of live by is that you never know the full story and that is okay if you go in knowing that you know at most you'll probably know 75 percent of the story at most that's being really generous you can you know, quickly pick up on nuggets or jewels and then go from there. I'll also say that having worked in different industries, LinkedIn can quickly become a bubble in itself, right? Um, I used to work in legal marketing and for a while my feed was all about like law firm updates. And I'm like, this does not even pertain to me <laughs> at all. This is boring. <laughs> what are we doing here? And so I cleaned that up, right? And it's important to, when you you go into any social media channel to tailor kind of the content that you want and then give yourself some things that you would never really consider, right? So add pieces or add groups or add organizations that you like and that you want to learn more about and your feed will start to diversify. Mm -hmm. um, it's important to get out of that bubble because you won't be able to connect the right way if you kind of stay in this one space. So think about recalibrating that feed, I would say every six months, maybe. If you're choosing to be super active, maybe that can be as little as three months. But definitely think about the, the content and what you want it to serve and how you want it to serve you. And I would also say, lastly, for anyone who wants to avoid kind of the exclamatory, 
statements of just do this or you only have one life to live and you know those types of things mute those people <laughs> like you know you'll be surprised at what these algorithms will pick up on and your habits that also goes for engaging so it's always going to be one way in if you don't properly engage so you have to like you have to comment you have to reach out to people you have to react to certain posts and then your feed will start tailoring the, that type of content towards you I think that's super important. And then lastly, it seems scary, but get in those DMs, you know? Yeah. You never know <laughs> yes. where the road might lead you. Slip into the, slide into the DMs. Do it. LinkedIn uh, is the place to do it. It really is. And I think that before you slide into DMs, <laughs> make sure you do look at that person's profile. Like, make sure the message is on target. Like, I can't tell you how many messages I get a day selling me stuff that mm -hmm. have you even looked at my profile like do you know who i am like what's going on here why am, or are you pitching me this yeah for and sure. like, it's so frustrating i have actually gotten to the habit um i don't do this all the time but for certain people who i know are they really trying i send a message back letting them know i'm not the target market for their service you know and to consider tailoring their message sometimes it's helpful sometimes it's not is it, it generally founders? Like, because you're in the founders target? It's founders. It's yeah, financial sales planners, <laughs> wealth advisors. Yeah. Um, then there's software people, a lot of people pushing software. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I will say that if you hit, the, if you say the right thing, people will listen. I'll never forget. I was volunteering um, in the elections a couple of years ago when I was making phone calls to get people out to vote. And they give you a script to reach out to people. And like, I kind of blindly went into a call with someone and she's like, whoa, 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 you didn't even ask if I had time to talk right now. I'm like, you know what? That is a very great point. And now when I talk to people or I'm engaging with them over the phone, I confirm that this is still a good time to talk or do they have this yeah. amount of time to talk? Setting their expectations, managing them, like that goes a long way. Yeah. No, it really does. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a brilliant, Bridget, honestly, as far as the comprehensive look into LinkedIn and how to navigate it, how to mm -hmm. use it to find your digital mentors, learn from people, don't fall into the ego trap as best mm -hmm. as you can. Oh my, you're there. Yeah. We're all selling. We are yes. all selling something always, don't, constantly. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't get it twisted. And there's no shame in it. There is no, no shame in selling because ultimately your job is not to sell something to somebody that they don't need. It is mm -hmm. to fill something that they do need and let them know that you can help them with that. There's exactly. no shame in that whatsoever. And it's a long nurturing. Yeah, it takes some time, you that. know? Yeah. No, you know, you, it's not going to happen overnight. People will be watching you literally for a year, mm -hmm. year and a half, and then they'll reach out. You know, you never know. Uh, but you're right. We're yeah. selling. It is what it is. It's and it's not a good bad. thing. Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. bad. No yeah. one can have an icky feeling about it. Yeah. Well, Bridget, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so yeah. much for being open and honest and sharing your journey. I admire you a lot. Oh. I do not idolize you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I won't put you on a pedestal. You can't yeah. disappoint me. But no. I have I have immense respect for you and all that you've done, all that you're doing. You and I have known each other for a while, and I'm just really proud of everything that you've accomplished. And 
I know that you're going to go on to continue failing gracefully and thriving (laughs) effortlessly. So I can't wait to see all that you do. Thanks, Hill. I feel the same way about you. Definitely knew from right off the bat, you had your shit together. And seeing how you've grown and evolved into this space and owned it, I think that's a key thing is you've always owned it. And that was really great to see. And I always felt like you never questioned that either. So, you know, seeing people like you remind me of what I used to be or want to be and can be. So that's really, really important to have. Right back at you. Thanks, friend. Bridget, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Where can our listeners follow you, learn from you, and just gobble up everything you got to offer? Oh, well, I'm on LinkedIn under Bridget Price. And so you'll be able to find me. I... I'm also on Instagram. I have a podcast called Entrepreneurs in Progress. Look for that on Spotify or the Apple Store, and you'll see all of our newest episodes. I'm not on Twitter. That's one place I'm not. <laughs> I can never get down with the tweets. I can't either. Uh, I know. <laughs> I can't do it. I tried in 2009. That ship has passed. <laughs> it's gone. But I'm primarily on LinkedIn, so just look for me. I am also wearing pink in my profile pic, so... <laughs> You'll probably be able to easily identify me there. But yeah, I'm LinkedIn, Instagram. My company, locally owned in Phoenix, is called Made Easy. M-A-I-D-E-A-S-Y-A-Z.com. You can find us there. I'd want you you guys to wait a few weeks because we're getting a new website, <laughs> which is super exciting. Don't come yet. I, uh, don't come yet. Just just wait till the end just of... put it you on know. your calendar. Yeah. Like, wait till mid, mid-fall, like yeah. Thanksgiving-ish. Yeah. <laughs> Clean up, um, clean up for Thanksgiving. Yes, yes. And then um, you'll actually see me there on our current website. We're not, my husband and I are not posted anywhere. So we're evolving the brand. Uh, but yeah, come connect with me on LinkedIn. Happy to have you guys. Happy to talk. Happy to chat. Um, growing my team. I've been reading this book, The Making of a Manager by Julie Zhu, design director of Facebook. So very insightful, very helpful. Um, basically, you can't manage one way. you got to manage to the person so very very helpful but yes i love it here check me out reach out do whatever you got to do amazing thank you bridget yeah thanks so <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the social complex podcast Your support means the world to me. So if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and subscribe to our show. We'll be releasing a new episode every Tuesday, bringing you various stories, deep dives, and discussions around the complexities of social media in our modern world. To follow along for more, be sure to follow us at YourSocialHQ on Instagram or check out SocialHQ at www.YourSocialHQ.com. I'm your host, Hillary Applegate, and I'll see you back here next week. Stay sane out there.